Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that we have in the body of Christ. And that you have, by your grace, redeemed a people and drawn them together to make much of your Son. And you've called us to do that, not only in our proclamation of the gospel, but also in how we love one another and how we love outsiders. Um, you told your disciples that they will know that you're mine by the way you love one another. And so as we look a little bit closer at that this morning, uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that you would be um, evident, that you would give us wisdom, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive what your word would say this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. We've been going through uh, a little series, uh, just snippets of the Gospels. And um, this morning I'd like to look at pretty, um, a pretty common, well-known parable, Luke 10, verse 25 through 37. And one of, the, one of the things I like to do with these parables is to really try to um, dive into the cultural implications of what's going on. What would, the, what would the, the hearers of this, the first time, what were they bringing to the table to interpret this? How, how would they have seen it? What was he, what was he keying off of to make, make it uh, significant to them? All right, so the parable of the Good Samaritan is the, the heading... The, the uninspired heading that is in my Bible. And that's a good, you know, quick key so we all know what we're talking about. But let's read it. Verse 25. And behold, a lawyer. That's always a good beginning. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down to Jerusalem from, Jer to Jer from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever, you, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, 
you go and do likewise. Well, what's going on here? This is a great um, children's ministry story. Be nice. Be nicer than others. Is that what's going on here? What's that? Of course it is. Be, be nice. Our religion can be summed up in two words, apparently. Be nice. Like, well, that's part of being nice. Subset of nice is don't judge. Like a diamond, this parable is set within two dialogues. Okay? It starts out with this discussion he has with a lawyer. Um, how, how is the demeanor of this guy when he approaches Jesus? What's he doing? How does it describe him? He's testing him. And isn't it curious that he's testing him and he calls him teacher? Okay, in a teacher-student relationship, who's the one doing the testing? The, the teacher's doing the testing. And in this culture, when a teacher is testing a student, usually the teacher is the one standing and the students are sitting and the lawyer rises up to put Jesus to the test. Is that a humble demeanor or a prideful demeanor? Prideful. prideful. And what does he ask him? What's he asking him? How do I inherit, inherit eternal life? All quests for ultimate truth or knowledge start here. But the lawyer is not seeking knowledge or truth. He's seeking to trap him, to test him. And he, this deposition he's doing casts the net wide. Uh, do you think Jesus knows what the lawyer's doing? Well, of course he does. And being a good presuppositional apologist, Jesus responds with a question to drive home the fallacy of the lawyer's worldview. Welcome to Friday night. What does he do? What, what is his response? Go read the law. Go read the law. You're a lawyer, right? You're a Jewish lawyer. What does the law say? And what does he get from him? How do you read it, is what he says. What does the law say? And where does the lawyer go? He goes to the Ten Commandments. In what way? The idea behind them. What's that? The idea behind them. The idea behind them, which is? So the law is summed up in two things. Love God, love, love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That's where he, and is that right? Jesus confirms. So go do it. What's the problem? He doesn't necessarily want to do it with all the neighbors. He does. <laughs> Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Let's define terms. Let's limit through definition. He's already got the first one, though. He didn't ask who is my God. Yeah, and exactly. We don't want to go there. We don't want to. We don't want to go with. 
he also, instead of instead of saying he wanted to test him again, he wanted to justify himself. He which speaks to the fact that he knows he's not treating everyone as his neighbor. Right. Or, or what else? What's the other? Uh, yes. And what's the other aspect of that? He wants to justify himself. He's got a better shot at which one? Loving God with heart, mind, soul, and strength, or loving neighbor? Which one has he got a better shot at in his mind? Because when you set the standard as love God with everything, can you do that? So if I'm looking for a, a, a loophole, I've just condemned myself with love God with everything. Because that ain't happening. He solicits from him the law and then destroys his worldview because he can't do it. So I'm looking to justify myself. I know in my own heart, if I'm going to be intellectually and, and just downright honest, um, I, I'm, there's no way I can do number one. Maybe if we define terms correctly that benefits me, I can at least do a 50% mark and say, God, see, at least I did half, and I did some of the stuff. Do you see what's going on? How do I inherit eternal life? That's the context of the whole discussion. That's the initial question. That's, that's the backdrop of the entire thing. How do I justify myself when I know I'm hosed because of what I've just set as the standard? My own standard. I can't even fulfill my own standard. And that is... And that's the way you deal with people and their worldview that's inconsistent with Christianity. You can't even live by your own standard. That's what we do with our own hearts. We can't even live by our own standard. So what does that tell us? We need a Savior. Right? That's the backdrop of the whole thing. But he doesn't want to hear this. Who's my neighbor? Let's define terms. The, what's wrong with the question? Fundamentally, he can't do it. He can't it's a gift. The lawyer should know that born or, or adopted, those who are born or adopted inherit um, eternal life. It's not earned. It's given because of who you are. And he asks for a summary of the law. He gives him the summary. He gives him Deuteronomy 6.5. And then he gives him Leviticus 19.18, which is love neighbor. All right. The issue here is you can't love your neighbor without first loving God. And you see this through the thing. So Jesus says to him, Great, follow your own advice, and you will inherit eternal life. Good luck with that. Go do it. Um, Alright, so the second dialogue. We see the weight of what he said falling on him. He knows he's not uh, obeying his own standard. But rather than despair of his own efforts, he seeks to redefine the markers. Um, you know, whenever you, you play a game that has a distance element, like, like a ring toss or whatever, with little kids, you have to redefine the markers so that they have a hope of doing it. My, my kids like to go bowling, but they always like to put those little things in on the side because we have to redefine rules, you know, so that we're not just doing a series of gutter balls for $45 that you pay to go bowling. So we, 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 do the, we, we redefine terms, right? The terms of the game are now this. That's what he's wanting to do. He wants to go children's ring toss on this. What is, who is my neighbor? 
Uh, and he's seeking to, to justify himself. What does justify mean in biblical terms? Whenever the word, when we see that word justify here, what, what does that mean? Justified, never oh my gosh, you Baptist. <laughs> Make yourself right. Make yourself accepted, right? Um, <clears throat> seek acceptance in the presence of God. What's the problem with him doing this? He's doing it on his own. So who is my neighbor? He wants a workable definition. Who would be his neighbor? Who would, in, in his mind, who would be his neighbor? What does he expect Jesus to say? Another Jew. And, and why can't Jesus give me a straight answer? What's another, what's another possibility? What's another possibility? He may have expected his contemporaries. Some of his contemporaries. Gentiles, would, they, would those be neighbors to him? No? Probably not in the culture. Are they under the law? <coughs> we just went through Leviticus. Yes, if, if yes they, they are. If they live inside Israel. If they live inside Israel, that's true. Sojourners are to be treated with the rights of, of uh, the citizenry to some extent, at least in, in, in being able to glean to the corners of the fields and those kinds of things. You'll love a sojourner. You were once sojourners. That's what the, what the law says. But he doesn't go there. Um, but one thing is, is very, very clear. God hates Samaritans. <laughs> we just know that. God hates Samaritans. Uh, it's a selective reading, right? In his mind, he's done selective reading. How would Jesus define neighbor? That's the question. How is he going to define neighbor? Um, Sons of the people, see that language sometimes in the law that's just, just Jews. Uh, the sojourner, well, we, can, we can see that argument. Family and any stranger who lives in my town, maybe so. Jesus, instead of answering it straight, starts with a story. And it's a seven, um, I don't know what you call this, scenes maybe? Seven scenes of the story? That's good. That'd be a good title. Um, and it starts with, this robbery. Does it say what ethnicity the man is? No. What's assumed here, though? The man from Jerusalem? Yeah. That he was a Jew. They assume that he was a Jew. He doesn't really name, but he's a Jew. And he falls in with these robbers, and maybe he tried to resist them. They beat the snot out of him, strip him. Leave him on the road. Take all his stuff and leave him half dead. Bad situation to be on the road. Um, that, that is, uh, that's hard times. So then you have this series of people that, that follow the road um, and go past this guy. The, and we start with what? The priest. What's a priest in Israel? What do, they're, they're leaders. Kind of an upper class. And they're more expected to be, they're, they're high to a, held to a higher standard. Generally. They're held to a higher standard because why? Because they're considered holy. They're considered holy. They're separate to God. Priests going to know the law? Absolutely. They should know it. They got to memorize, they got to do the thing. Yeah, the, three classes of people who served in the temple. Do you remember? Do you remember? This is a little review time too on Leviticus. Three classes of people who served in the temple. Who, who, who do we have? We have a priest. Who else? 
the Levite, thank you. And then the third person would be a non-Levite, whether priest or just lay Levite, but just a lay person that can do other things that are not necessarily considered temple-related, but they serve the priest that way. So you've got three, three classes of people, a priest, a Levite, and a layman who help with various tasks. Many of the priests lived in Jericho and would go up to Jerusalem for two-week assignments. They did it by lots. They played like, you know, I don't know, poker or whatever, and decided who, who would go up to Jerusalem to serve in the temple for their two-week slot. Um, and so we assume from the story, it, it's a very, it would be a very common thing for the priest to be going from Jericho to Jerusalem uh, to, to, uh, or, or on his way home from Jerusalem to Jericho um, and when he runs across this guy. Social status, we know they're, they're usually in the second temple period. The priests were wealthy, were the wealthier members. Had, they have means. Um, it's a 17-mile trip from Jericho to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem to Jericho. It kind of works both ways. What, uh, what would you expect an upper-class guy to be doing? Would he be doing the Rhines in D.C., walking 17 miles a day every day? Or, or, would, or would, they, would something else be going on? What would he be doing? Probably riding, right? He's a man of means. He doesn't want to get his robe dirty. That's his glory. So he's riding this 17-mile hike. Um, okay, so he has means. He has uh, a means of transportation. And he runs up on this guy. What does this mean for our victim? He had means of transporting him uh, to help or safety at the very least. So what's the problem? How do we identify the culture? If I've got in my head my duty, who I'm supposed to help, is Jews. How do I identify if this guy's a Jew? What, what are some things that I would do? In a non-snarky answer, what would it be? <laughs> so, no tie. Go ahead. See what he's wearing. See, the See what he's wearing. But he's been robbed. His clothes. So he's got no clothes, so we can't see his dress, right? He has no possessions, so he doesn't have, we don't see if he has any kind of, you know, uh, some of the, the little trinkets or whatever that they would carry around. There's no way to identify this guy. And he's beaten up. And he's beaten up, so you can't see his face. Features that would normally indicate whether or not he's Jewish have been obscured by the bruising and the swelling, Right? I don't know if he's a Jew. As well, the priest could be concerned about his own cleanliness and his own stuff because for all he knows, the man is dead. And if he touches him, he'll be unclean. And that will have to lead to him having to do extra work. Absolutely. I don't know if the guy's dead. In the story, Jesus says he's half dead. And if I touch a dead body, are you serious? That's a week. i got to go through this thing. I'm going to lose one of my animals over this. I'm not going to be able to serve. I'm not going to be able to take, partake of my portion of the sacrifice. My family is going to suffer. If the guy's dead, I've got a lot of work i got to do. I don't know if he's a Jew. Do I really want to chance this? And you just got off work. And I just got off work. <laughs> Where are you going to work? <laughs> and I'm tired. i got 17 miles to go. Miles to go before I sleep. Um, so he's, he's, got, he's got an ethical dilemma. Right? Well, is, is it an ethical dilemma? Or a moral dilemma? It's a moral dilemma. <laughs> Culturally, it is 
not determined what the guy is. What ought I to do? It would be the ethical dilemma. Very nicely done, sir. All right. So you have, uh, uh, if he's a Jew, the priest has a duty to help. No doubt he wanted to do his duty, but he can't identify if he owes one. Um, what if he gets over there and the victim is a Greek or an Egyptian or a Syrian? He's not going to be able to do anything by law anyway, because they're Gentiles. If he approaches a foreigner, or fo foreigner, if he approaches a foreigner, it's a band all of a sudden. Um, if he approaches a foreigner and then the victim died, again he would be ceremony, ceremonial unclean. So it's just too risky. So what does he do? The other side of the road. Was he afraid his horse is going to stumble and throw him onto the body? What's the problem? I mean, you'd think he'd at least do a drive-by and just kind of look and see. Plausible deniability. Very good. It's a very political term. Don't want to make eye contact. Don't want to be near so he can call out or reach to. Just yeah, so if he is half dead and he looks up, gosh, that would be very depressing to say, I'm sorry, I can't touch you. You're unclean. i, I got to keep going. So why, let's just avoid the unpleasantness of it all and go to the other side of the road and pretend like it doesn't exist altogether. That way he doesn't have a decision to make. Ah, make a decision by not making a decision. Okay? So what do we have next? The Levite. Same situation, isn't it? Yep. Who's my neighbor? He probably knew the priest was ahead of him. The priest didn't stop. Maybe there's a reason. He knows a lot better than I do. Right? There's excuse. Um, because of what the priest has done, the Levite's conscience is somewhat eased. He's done it. I can do it. Isn't that something about leadership? So he moves on. He also goes to the other side of the road. It's best not to make eye contact. It's best just to not have to make the decision. Let's move on. So then what happens? When you hear a story that begins with a priest, a rabbi, and a... <laughs> That's not what you normally think. A priest, a rabbi, I usually think deacon. I don't know why. but A priest, a rabbi, and this time when you hear a story with these three guys, you're going to think... Probably, a, a, you know, a Benjaminite or, or a, a, you know, whatever. Um, a Jew, yeah. Um, I think going to Samaritan is probably not what they expected. Who are the Samaritans? They're half-breeds. They're half-Jews. They, um, they're from that... Um, section of Israel that, um, that broke off in the great schism of, uh, of what was that? Uh, the great schism of 512. I can't remember what the year was when they did that. But where David's kingdom or Solomon's kingdom uh, was given over to his son Rehoboam. Uh, Rehoboam does the bright thing and says he's going to raise taxes because that always works well for a people. <laughs> and they say, no, you're not. And they split. And they almost came to blows. There's almost a war between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But God stayed their hand and they didn't, they didn't do it. But they set up idols in the northern kingdom so that good Israelites 
would, could go there and worship a god rather than have to come to the temple in Jerusalem because they didn't want to influence the people and try to get back together. They liked to keep the kingdom. So from that point forward, Northern Kingdom is an idolatrous nation, apostate. And during the exile, uh, exile period, they inbred with, not inbred, that's the wrong term. They inter, intermarried with, that's the wrong term, forget that, we'll edit that out. Um, they, they, it's not, uh, never mind, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, so, the, so they had intermarrying situations with um, Gentiles, Canaanites who were there, and it, and it, and it turned, you know, what was the big thing in God's law? Don't marry these Canaanites. They'll, they'll cause you to fall. Well, that's exactly what happened with the Northern Kingdom. So this long... And the capital of the Northern Kingdom was Samaria. So they were just referred to in terms of the Samaritans. right? So that's, that's the history behind this. By hating the Samaritans, what are they saying? We are holier than you. We've maintained true to the law. We've maintained pure to the law. We have loved God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved our neighbors as ourselves. You, half-breeds, have not. And that, isn't that the general deal? We're in the law. We're in covenant with God. You're not. Now, forget the fact that part of the blessings of obeying the law was not to be a conquered people. That seemed like a sort of a disconnect for the Jews at the time. You're conquered. What does that mean? Um, but that's the idea. We are our, our, our father's Abraham. Right? So here it is. A priest, a Levite, and well, uh, you know, a first century Jew would expect to be a layman to be the, to be the hero. But that's not what happens. It's the half-breed Samaritan. It's like a good Indian story in the Old West. That's the issue here. Um, it would be better for the Jew to help a Samaritan than the other way around because there's the superiority thing there. But Jesus, Jesus goes with the Samaritan here and the core issue here, what is the Samaritan's response to seeing this? Gosh, I'm going to be unclean. Compassion. It's compassion. Now, there's compassion and there's compassion, right? There's, gosh, that's awful. But I'm late. I, I'm going to have a flat tire. There's compassion, there's compassion. How do we know he has compassion? He demonstrates it. Thoroughly. thoroughly. In what way? Not only does he basically pick him up off the side of the road and take him to the enemy, he seeks to pay for his further expenses to This is a big deal. He apparently has a beast of burden, like the priest, apparently well-to-do guy. Um, his compassion goes beyond the social mores to do what ought to be done, to do what is ethical. First, what does he do? He treats the wounds. How does he treat the wounds? Pouring on oil and wine. Oil and wine. Cheap? Expensive. It's expensive. It's the first aid of the day. You, you, you do the oil to... We do the wine to clean out the wound. You do the oil to kind of act as a salve. I guess I'm not really... I'm guessing that's what's going on. So you do the first aid of the day. You bind the wounds. And he uses what he has. All the resources. The oil, the wine, the cloth wrapping. He has uh, a riding animal to carry 
the guy. He transports him, secondly. He risks his life by transporting him. Where is he transporting him? What country is he in? As a Samaritan, would he be in hostile country or friendly country? Hostile country. country. So he takes him to the hostel (laughs) on the horse. Thank you, homie. Let me get an eight. (laughs) Sorry, it's an East Texas thing. Um, So he gets him on the horse and transports him in hostile country um, to the inn. Is that an act of, you know, just cheap compassion or is that gutsy? It's gutsy. He's walking around with a broken Jew as a Samaritan in hostile Jewish country. It just depends. Is it televised on TV? <laughs> no, if it were on TBN, Benny Hinn would have been there. Another thing, he was riding on the animal, going somewhere. Now he's walking on the ground. Ah. On the animal. He gives his ease, the ease of travel, over to the wounded Jew and takes, takes the ground himself. That's a good point. But in doing so, he's walking around with. The, I mean, what's what? Okay. It's not what it looks like. The, it looks like. <laughs> exactly. And isn't that the core issue with any kind of bitterness, though? It's assumptions. But Here's a Samaritan. I assume he beat up the Jew. Right? I assume this. The core issue here is his compassion is in spite of what would be assumed about him as he's walking through hostile country. You would, the listeners would have expected him to unload the victim on the edge of Jericho and disappear into the night. Leave a baby at the doorstep, you know, kind of thing. It's not safe for him. Community vengeance may occur even when he's saving the life of this man. And what does he do the third? He spends the night there, tending to the man at his own expense. And the next morning when he leaves, what does he do? Pays the innkeeper to take care of He pays him how much? Two denarii, denarius, denarii. And he says, take care of him and I'll pay him. And I'll pay the difference. So the, he's paying him quite a bit of money to take care of him. I'm not sure exactly what I forgot to look up what that translates to in day wage. It's, uh, it's two days wages? Two days wages. Two days wages. It was a guess. Because um, I've got Israeli currency conversion just rocking around in my head. So anyway, the, so he pays him two days wages. He tells him if there's any difference in what cost is there... I'll pay the difference. Why does he do that? What happens to a Jew that can't pay their debts to the innkeeper? Leviticus. He's got to work it off. He becomes a slave. Right? Now, if he becomes a slave, after going through all this trouble taking care of him, does that work toward his goal or against his goal of restoring the man? I mean, why would you set the guy up for that? So he, again, takes it on his own person to provide the materials to take care of him, the transport to get him to safety, the money to keep his care going, and he tends to him all night on his own for a man that probably would hate him if he saw him on the side of the road. Is that compassion? Does that set the bar a little higher on compassion? 
Does that remind you of anyone? Jesus. Always a good answer in Sunday school. I mean, isn't that the picture? Let His blood be on us and on our children. That's hate. Right? And yet He binds the wounds. He came to bind the brokenhearted. He uses that language. Isaiah uses that language. He lays down His life. He, he sets aside His prerogatives as God to come and take on form of man. Costly love that would reach its deepest price at the cross. So what's the concluding question here? What's the concluding question? Look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Proved it. He proved it. What's the guy's response? The one who showed him mercy. Now, do you find it interesting that he didn't say the Samaritan? Isn't that interesting? The answer is, who, to who is my neighbor? Becomes, to whom must I become a neighbor? And the answer is, anyone in need. On hearing this, the lawyer has a chance to see that he cannot justify himself. He can't do this. Jesus is calling on him to be more than just nice. He's calling him to lay down his life. It's, but it's beyond his ability. It's beyond my ability. It's beyond your ability. You can't do this. This is crazy. The ethical demands are limitless, and he can't do it. Neither can you and me. Scope of this kind of service is limited by who we are, not by who they are. Pro-cop, pro-Black Lives Matter. Either or. Because that's crazy. Um, it's easier to do the pendulum swinging. It's easy to do that. It's cheap. It's lazy to do that. So naturally, we do it as Americans. You demonize one group or the other and walk to the other side of the road. As a Christian, you don't have that luxury. Your king has set the bar pretty high on what ought to be. And you can't do it. I can't do it. Ultimately, the question on who is my neighbor rests upon do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because you can't do the second without doing the first. Isn't that what we saw in Exodus 20 when we went through the law? It starts with no other gods before me, and that includes myself. That includes my sense of I've been wronged or my ethnicity has been wronged. Love God alone. And he's called us, Jonah's, to go love the Ninevites. 
who have butchered our people. That's not easy. But that's what we're called to do. We're not called to take the lazy, cheap, luxury way out of this. Loving neighbor is not something I do to gain eternal life, but it flows from already having received it. You have to love God. You have to love Christ before you can love your neighbor. That's not just an intellectual thing. It's a heart thing that flows from a mind that's renewed, but it proves itself by action. Any comments or questions on that? Right. Um, and I, I think a story that probably everybody's heard, but it just, I mean, it's a, it, it's an amazing story. Is Corrie Tim Boom, who was in a concentration camp. Her sister died in a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. And after the war, she was speaking uh, to a crowd, and, and afterwards a guy came up and wanted to talk to her and reached his hand out, and she recognized him as one of the German guards. Mm-hmm. And she said it was just the the love of Christ mm-hmm. flowing through me that I could even reach out my hand. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that's a test is you know what do you do in those situations mm-hmm. when you would never right choose to show love to someone yeah. like that. She can't do that. That has to be born from a heart that loves God more than I'm right. And I want to justify myself. Or the black church. That, yeah. Yeah. I think I think this passage is easy to read, but it's incredibly hard to do because I mean, there's a hard fast line in the sand. What should you do? Well, yeah, we're going to help somebody in need. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how like you watch all these movies about somebody's traveling through the woods and somebody's lying there, and it's a trick mm-hmm. that there's you know five other people in the woods that as soon as you go down to look at that person. They pop up or pull a gun or whatever, and then everybody right. ambush. And so you're thinking about so it's the assumptions, preservation, right? As opposed to should I just help this guy, give him some money and bandage his wounds and get him on his way? Versus what about my life? Right. And that that's where it really becomes difficult. So so then we say, let's go to the other side of the road, avoid the trap that I assume is there, and then call that wisdom. Exactly. That's justification. Yeah, it is. And again, I'm not saying pick up a hitchhiker every time you see one, because obviously that's crazy. But sometimes you got to make a phone call. Hey, there's a guy walking. He looks destitute. You know, I, I don't. I, again, you do want to use wisdom. I don't want to encourage this. You know, we're not to throw caution to the wind. Right. Exactly. You want to use wisdom in doing things, but at the same time. I think a lot of this, I know this bitterness divide that we're seeing develop that we haven't seen since the 1960s, that's coming from faulty assumptions that the guy on the other side is a guy of ill will. And that's true whether it's black, white. That's true whether it's someone in the church that is offended by something. And instead of doing what they need to do to make it right and dealing with the heart, 
It's assuming that the people that are on the other side are demons and I have to destroy them. That's not what we're called to do. That's pendulum swinging. That's not wisdom. That's not biblical. And so we want to guard against that. Even among our own circles, we want to guard against that. But you see these big social rifts, that's the core issue. The other side is evil, and I must destroy them at whatever cost. We're not called to do that. We can't do that. We live by a different set of ethics. All right. Any, any others? Yes, sir. Uh, the original question, it was, who is my neighbor? Is asking um, kind of like, who, who, you know, it's a, who is my neighbor? So Bob is my neighbor. But it's at the end, it says, who proved to be a neighbor to the man that was fallen? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that proved that the fallen man was his neighbor. Right. It's kind of a, an outward rather than a, it, it, it changes perspective. It changes the burden of proof. Right. Right? And it, it was a prove to be a neighbor, not, oh, he's your neighbor. It's go prove that he's your neighbor. Right. Or go prove that you're a neighbor to uh, him. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You're exactly right. He switches the burden of proof, which is actually a lawyer trick, <laughs> which I find very interesting that Jesus would flip it. <laughs> but go ahead. I also find it merciful because Christ could have answered this guy's question with a word. Yeah. And the guy's, you know, he wasn't humble in asking it, so he could have. He could have served it right back to him with a word that he was going to ignore and yeah. accept. Yeah. And instead, he turned it around and was really, you know, really long-winded from that guy's perspective. Sure. Why don't you just answer my question? Why do I need this? Story? Yeah. Well, he's a lawyer. He's used to that. And uh, it's actually merciful that he. Yeah. Christ actually demonstrated. Here's why I'm not going to answer you with what you want to hear. Right. Uh, or even the easy answer. I'm going to give you the, the true answer. Right. Which is go to the heart, not win the argument. I, I thought. Although that, he did win the argument. Go ahead. I thought that just occurred to me is I, I mean, we don't know what the response of the wounded man mm-hmm. was, but it it's interesting because in my mind I've always thought, oh, he would have woken up and been so grateful and whatever. Mm. But we don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know what even his response could have been. What? A Samaritan helped me? Great. Now I've got a week of uncleanness. You know, how dare he? Yeah. How dare he do that? You know? Yeah. And so, but it's interesting because as if you're trying to be a neighbor to somebody, you don't know what their response is going to mm-hmm. be, even if you have good motives. Mm-hmm. And even if you're trying to honor God through your actions, you're, you're called to be obedient right. no matter what their response is. So it's interesting that we're not shown yeah. his response yeah. to, it's the, amazing. to the compassion. It's amazing how much is not said sometimes in these parables, and I think for a reason. You, I was just going to say that from the thing of the parable, the man's response to the Samaritan helping him doesn't matter. Right. Because it's that's, that's not on yeah. the Samaritan as his duty to be the neighbor. It's not yeah. to be a neighbor, but only if they really accept the you. If right. not, then you know. Right. And I think Christ leaves that out there by not showing a response. Yeah, I think you're right. You're right. Okay. Any anything else? Yes, sir. Um, part of the structure in this story is irony. Yeah. And uh, like something that's that's meant to be like toe stomping is that the Samaritan has the compassion that God has, mm. whereas the the great leaders. 
do not have that compassion. Right. So Who's reflecting God's character yeah. in this? Good. That is ironic. Um, and it probably left some people mad at the end of the story, yeah. I would think. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. situation that he knew would probably suck him in to, mm-hmm. you know, seeing through the, to helping this guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really scary. Um, as someone who has been taken advantage of by needy, clingy people, mm-hmm. or, you know, it, you just know that, oh man, if I help this person, I'm opening up myself mm-hmm. to a world of hurt. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that's true. But how he, he knew that that was the only option for him. Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting first step that you have to take. Yeah. He takes on the burden of, this is going to take a while. This could, you know, we talk about now, we think, is somebody going to jump up and attack? I mean, how did he know this wasn't a trick? I mean, robbers had just been there, right? (coughs) So how did he not know this was a trick? And yet he did it anyway, in hostile country anyway. That's a huge burden. I don't like that. I hear stuff like that. I'm thinking context that I'm in, where that would apply. Yeah, I don't like that. That that's not that's not wise. That's not uh, it's not safety conscious. I've got a family. The bar's high. It's very high. Scarily high. All right. Any anything else? Okay. I'm going to pray and we'll, we'll go. Father, you read parables like this, and then in the background, we hear John saying, and his commandments we know are not burdensome. This seems awfully high to me. But if I put it in the context of Christ came to redeem sinners of whom I am chief. It's a small price to pay. Would you give us the heart to do what seems crazy? To love someone who hates us. And that when all of the world is screaming and firing and um, chanting that the other side is evil, would you grant that the church would stand up and display the love of Christ like we see displayed in this parable? It's not an easy thing. But that's what our King has called us to do. And we want to reflect Him rightly. We want to be obedient to His commands. So do what only you can do in our hearts. Give us wisdom. Give us compassion and mercy. For some of us, that has to be a divine act. And so we ask that you do it. We thank you for Christ and what He's done for us. And His compassion and mercy. It's in His name we pray. Amen.